Weapons, 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 said Zelensky. Oh, we cheered. No, said the Danish woman minister, we will never hear quoted again. Negotiations, 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 and if they break down, negotiate again. The problem, as I feel it, and that is how I roll, I feel something, then figure out why. Try it sometimes, especially when your mob disagrees with you, or if you have the stones to challenge your mob. My mob, pretend lefties. The problem, as I see it, with the Ukraine war protestation is that it is actually pro-war against the, the assigned devil, Russia and Putin, especially in the US and the UK. The hypocrisy is unbelievable, overwhelming. But even that fact is overwhelmed by this strange cultural bloodlust. The life force that suddenly animates both peoples when yet another people behaves the way we do. The only explanation for this is an abiding belief in our superiority. NATO cannot be guilty of war crimes. What adult, now that Madeleine Albright is gone, can make that statement? Which is at once the great pretext of modern war, a hangover, at least from the liberals in colonial England, You'll be so much better off if we invade and rule you. Nothing has changed. Obviously, the response has been laughably predictable. The claims of the superior Western democratic liberal capitalist system need only be understood by the other 70% of the world's people who are all evidently just stupid. It's probably best before the arguments rage that Americans read the Monroe Doctrine, try and understand it and recall its implications in Latin America and the African continent. Imagine them even. Motivate them if you can. Give them a rationale that does not include supremacy as a guiding principle. Then we might begin with this. Russia is behaving like America. Why? Why do we behave that way? We and Russia, et voila, then you have an anti-war movement, like the one in the 60s. I do remember when Russia rushed into Afghanistan. Six years earlier, I had stopped on 9-11-1973 to watch a news break on a London high street. Few of us had televisions at home, but much football could be watched on the street through shop windows selling tallies. On that day, instead of football, we watched the coup in Santiago, Chile. This was the Monroe Doctrine in action, but sneaky CIA fashion. Not like the obvious, blundering, blatant Russians. <sighs> I'm reading a lot of Russian stuff recently, mostly plays poetry, and uh, and I realize slowly that I am reading a, about a very different people expressing themselves in a way that I understand implicitly, entirely. Eurasian, indeed. And it's not just the work of the big three or the ones that the West has chosen to translate, relentlessly pushed at as, as examples, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Chekhov, they're almost the most Western writers, so we approve. However, Chekhov, 
so loved by the Brits in their theatre, because they think he's writing about the English middle class, seems to be about deep urgencies, flaws, rifts, chasms in the middle class of Russia. The exact middle class English literature relentlessly pr promotes as ideal in so much for so long, so much so that we actually believe it. Ignoring the great deeps and illnesses its overvaluation causes. Our middle classness with oh so many rules of conduct and propriety that says fisticuffs at a racetrack is good old boys letting off steam, but a slap by a black man at the Oscars is an assault too far, where the assault assaulted is unhurt, but the fragile vein ceremony is shocked to its artificial core. That is the middle class to a T. A Russian theater man I worked with 20 years ago told great stories of Chekhov's sexual escapades, all in good fun without judgment in that Russian way. No well-behaved Darcy's in that world. Chekhov pushes the way our civilization allows so little space for the vastness of the human psyche and then demands so much in its return in return for its gruel happiness. Read Dickens. I always sense a wild frustration in the personalities in Chekhov, a longing for something primal to liberate them. I don't know if Chekhov is a reflector, mirror up to nature, an iconoclast, or a rebel, but his sympathy is huge. Transposed on the instant sincerity, the artificial saccharine sincerity of the English equivalents makes him bland. Then the bright idea that he's funny dawns on a don, and we get a generation of that attempt, and it is funny. A production, a Russian production of The Three Sisters I saw recently made a stark picture of the awful lives women lead in the bourgeoisie life of the European 18th and 19th century. No Bridgerton here. What the otherwise mighty Jane Austen turns into sweetness, Chekhov's, Chekhov makes it roar at us. And I wonder, just wonder what our assumptions about other cultures, our graded system in the West, in England and the US, the hierarchy atop which we sit is not perhaps upside down. We sit there in our middle class smugness that the West allows a questionable freedom because it has no sense of freedom at all, no real freedom. The chimera is enough. It is, after all, if anything, only the freedom to own, which is exactly not freedom at all. The illusion and the fireworks and the flag. Maybe we are a culture just too docile. We have most definitely bought Victorian prudery as our guiding principle. I listened to as much as I could of a podcast, I guess, by Thomas Sowell, S-O-W-E-L-L, -L, on the origins of black American culture, which he clearly despises, uh, but traces to the poor Africans' exposure to, to, brave, to depraved Europeans, depraved Africans and depraved Europeans. <laughs> And vice versa, the civilized African behaves according to wasp value, becomes white, rinsed lightly or heavily with Puritanism. 
Now, that really is funny. Insulting as it does any tendency that is not Victorian, the, the artificial culture that freighted with its huge hypocrisy, not least British colonialism, Mr. Soul is very afraid of anything below the belt, whoever is wielding or enjoying it. And this sad lot all happens to be the wielders below the belt. They all happen to be poor. The middle class do not wield below the belt. Everything happens above the neck. Those his civilizing monotheism promises a reward after death while they serve their betters on earth. Mr. Sowell is a nasty man in a long line of them. And there he is. The smallest read on the truth of Victorians trumps Mr. Sowell very easily, but there he is, honored and PhD'd. I think, I hope, Mr. Chekhov might be out staring him in eternity and his, and exposing the oppressor's self-oppression. But intellectuals have, since Plato, tried to inhabit the space artists occupy. They fail, and they rage at it. Mr. Sowell lingers in a state clung to, a bamboozled state that makes him ever more vicious, that preaches that way. So... The possibility is this, we protest too much like the lady doth that we are the advanced ones. We claim we are the Democrats, the free ones. I can and I do challenge all that stuff. But I can do it without finding any reason why. Just look at the evidence. Look at the quality of expression coming out of Eurasia. Listen to them sing. If you cannot or will not do this, that's fine. Our own vapid culture is a direct refutation of our superior presumption. No comparison needed. And I need not prove that Eurasia is better than. I don't need superiority to exist. That is precisely the bane at the heart of Christendom. It cannot bear the thought that another light shines. It cannot survive it. It goes to war, it goes to destroy. Eurasia at this remove, mine, seen through a mind's eye, not a psyche desperate for evidence that I am just okay, is at least as fascinating as we are, and on the evidence it is freer. Are we born believing evil lives only over there? Or is that feeling a need we develop as we grow, enforced by the education we approve of? My memory is hazy, but I really don't recall. After a quite blissful childhood, childhood spent in three very different cultures, Iraq, Trinidad, and the US, with typically English parents, you tell me why I ended up with no sense of evil being at another area code, or even in me. Truth be told, I don't actually believe in evil, which is why I probably don't believe in God. They are codependent. Why I feel, again, feel this way is not important at the moment. It is an apparent need. A constructing a world without an enemy, especially in the West, is hardly possible. It at least bolsters the silliness of competition long after that heyday and the blood should be tame. 
But ye fellow followers of Tolkien, you f ye fellow hobbits, fess up. When a slap between grown men is called assault, you are precisely hobbits. But I've done this trope already. I digress. The Japanese film director Hayao Miyazaki, apologies for bad pronunciation, comments on, comments on American movies and culture. If someone is the enemy, it's okay to kill endless numbers of them. Lord of the Rings is like that. If it's the enemy, there's killing without separation between civilians and soldiers. That falls within collateral damage. Why were the 60s so vibrant? However, why are we back at the 13th century in Texas and spreading? Whatever you think, feel it first. If all you feel is hate, your thinking is worthless. We feel what we need to. Thinking creates justifications. The need to hate is just not going to work. But here we are, again. And none of this needs to be true. But our truth is what we need to believe, not what is in fact. This is fast becoming my truth on the evidence no one is shy of presenting, so neither shall I be in presenting mine. In terms I value, in tastes I own, in beauties that give meaning, I must look over the sea. They are not here. They're elsewhere. In fact, they are everywhere. And when I get there, away from the dull din, I will look back and see a glimmer here. I think it will be entirely gone soon, but I could be wrong. There's always a chance. What I see over there is precisely not evil. <laughs>